Good morning. It's nice to be back at St. Peter's between travel and work and all sorts of other things. I haven't been here for weeks, and it's really very nice to be home. I'd like to take as my text today, Martha was distracted by her many tasks. A colleague of mine was recently vacationing in Turkey, and she and her husband went out one Saturday morning right after the end of the Muslim Sabbath shopping. And they came across a small jewelry store, and the owner of the store invited them in for tea. They had a couple cups of tea. They talked. The owner drove them up to his mother's house in the mountains to see where his mother lived. His mother invited them to lunch. He drove them back down to the shop. Needless to say, the woman showed me a very nice bracelet that she'd bought at the shop. And they finally, about four hours later, went on their way. This is typical Middle Eastern hospitality. Uh, it's based and grounded in reciprocity, and it goes way, way back to the beginning of the culture in that part of the world. And it's rooted in the fact that if you were traveling, you really needed the people who you came across when you were a stranger to take you in, to look after you, to give you food for your journey before you moved on, because there might not be anything, you know, no gas station for the next hundred miles. Uh, so you really needed that. And you were expected, when that other person came by traveling, to offer the same hospitality to that person. Today's Old Testament lesson is a story about that extraordinary, extreme hospitality that we still see to this day in the Middle East. Abraham is, going to, is entertaining angels unaware. Um, the, the story of Genesis tells us that the Lord appeared to Abraham. So it's not just angels, it's the Lord, him, the Lord God's self that appears to Abraham by his tent, by the oaks. Julie has shown us all, I, several times, the icon of the three seated men that is an icon of the Trinity, yes, but also an icon of the three visitors whom Abraham entertained. And Abraham, unawares, entertains God at that time. There are these three guys walking down the road. Abraham sees them going by, sprints out of the tent, which is pretty good for 110 years old or whatever, um, just about tackles them, says, come on, come on in. We'll bring a little bit of water. I'll bring you a little morsel of bread. Come, sit down. 
My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. So he sits them down. Somebody brings water for them to wash their feet. He dashes into the tent and says, Sarah, quick, bread. Dashes out to the herd. Servant, quick, cow. Goes back, sits down. Here, have a cup of tea. And everything's going okay. Sarah's baking. Somebody's slaughtering. Somebody's cooking. And Abraham's sitting, talking to them. The meal comes out. Everybody eats. And in the custom, what we'd expect from the story if we knew about, about the custom, Abraham and Sarah receive a gift in return. They're told that they will have a son. And that son will be the basis of the entire tribe and people of Israel. We see a fairly similar scene in the New Testament reading from today. Martha, a prominent woman in a village near Jerusalem, is entertaining and aware. She knows that this is somebody important who's come to, to be in her house. And she serves this person, she serves Jesus as best as she possibly can. Martha has a little sister. Her name is Mary. Mary, on the other hand, is sitting out with the guests, sitting on the floor, listening to Jesus. Martha is running around in the kitchen. And now this has never happened to me. Um, but those of you who, like me, are a little bit less, have a little bit less culinary adeptness may be familiar with the look. That's the look when you're like Abraham, sitting out with your guests, entertaining, telling them stories, keeping them comfortable. Your significant other, your sister, your Sarah, pokes her head out of the kitchen and you get the look. The look says, the bread's on fire, the tea overflowed, there's a servant out there running around chasing a cow. <laughs> Ishmael fell in the oasis while he was trying to get water. And I don't think that's the camel's nose that came in under the, under the tent. And you are sitting out there under the oak. Martha really kind of feels the same way. She goes straight to the top. She goes straight to her guest and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. Jesus rebukes her. He essentially says, shut up and sit down. What? I thought that hospitality and service were important. This goes back 4,000 years. When I read this, I felt as if the whole construct of generosity and reciprocity had been shattered. I'm on Martha's side here. What's going on in this story? Why does Jesus rebuke Martha? There's another story elsewhere in the Gospels 
that shows us a different side of Martha, that casts Martha in a different light. It's in John's Gospel. And in John's Gospel, Martha is still the busy one. Mary is still the contemplative one. When they hold a dinner party for Jesus, it's still Martha who serves. But there's another story of Martha and Mary in John's Gospel. And it's the story of Lazarus. You probably all remember this story. Lazarus, good friend of Jesus, lives with his two sisters, Martha and Mary. Lazarus is sick. Lazarus dies. Jesus has tarried along the way and doesn't arrive until after Lazarus has died. Martha hears that Jesus is coming. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him, while Mary stayed at home. And because Martha has moved, because Martha has been active, it is she, not her sister, who first hears the good news and really gets it. She says to him, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he says, your brother will rise again. And she says, well, I know he'll rise again at the end of days and the resurrection of the faithful and this and that. And Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Do you believe this? It's now. It's not later. It's not somewhere else. It's here. It's now. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Martha hears it. She puts it all together. And she responds as very few others in that gospel respond. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Mary later does important things that confirm Jesus' divinity, but it is Martha, the active one, who by virtue of her activity was in the right place at the right time and was the first to proclaim the new kingdom of God, to understand that her life, our life, came from the man that she saw standing right in front of her. So how can we reconcile these two portraits of Martha? I thought maybe I needed to look back at the story in Luke to try to understand it more deeply. What did I miss? What pulls those two stories together? Well, it's what Jesus actually says to Martha as opposed to what I heard Jesus saying to Martha. Jesus actually says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. He doesn't say, Martha, don't serve. He doesn't say, Martha, don't act. But rather, Martha, don't be distracted by your actions. Don't miss out on what's here before you now. 
Mary's lot is contemplation. Jesus calls Martha instead to stay aware of the holy in the midst of her busy life, not to be distracted. Well, I think that this understanding can help us as we strive to be what Paul called in the epistle, servants of the gospel. As we try to navigate the conflicting pressures of jobs, homes, families, church, other responsibilities. Some people are called to a life of reflection and contemplation. Not me. Some people can afford a life of reflection and contemplation. Not most of us. Not without a vow of poverty or maybe a big sister to do all the work for us. Many more of us are called, as Jesus called Martha, to experience the holy in the midst of life, to see God in the midst of the everyday, to pause for just a moment to sit at the feet of God as we meet God in the process of serving others. We can then move on to our next task with a renewed understanding that God is with us before we stopped, when we stopped, after we stopped. My job in the neonatal intensive care unit has a lot of unpredictability, a lot of emergencies, a lot of late hours. Even in the midst of the craziness, however, there is a sort of schedule to keep, a checklist of tasks that stand between me and dinner. One evening recently, I was completing the checklist. Next item, stop by to see hospitalized mothers in their rooms. I knocked on the door of a teen mother, a bit of teen attitude, no father in sight, baby with a life-threatening problem we were going to be unable to treat successfully. I was met with a tableau that I'll remember for the rest of my life. Mom, sitting up in bed, holding her baby in her arms, staring raptly at the sleeping child, smiling, completely at peace, at peace with a terrible diagnosis, at peace with whatever the future would bring. Completing the still life was a young man down on one knee at the bedside, staring just as lovingly at the baby. The peace that flowed out of that scene and washed over me wasn't anything our neonatal team had done, not with our bad news, not with our medical jargon. This peace had come from somewhere else, as a free gift, as grace. I advanced into the room. I said hello to the mom. I'm wondering furiously about whether I'd misremembered the information about the father. I thought there wasn't a father around. A bit awkwardly, I asked, are you dad? He smiled at the mom, 
smiled at me, said, not biological. Here was a man who'd taken on a teen mother, pregnant by who knows whom, taken on her child, taken them as his own, chosen to love them. I didn't ask him whether his name was Joseph. Most inbreakings of the spirit, most manifestations of God in the world aren't quite so slap you upside the head obvious as that one. But we've all seen them, we've all heard them, we've all felt them. In the laugh of a child, in the kindness of a stranger, in reconciliations, in a breath of wind on a sultry day. Jesus tells Martha, tells us, not to be so distracted by what we're doing that we miss them. Meeting God in these moments, treasuring them, storing them away, gives us sustenance for our journey. I'll probably always live a Martha life, but I'll take my merry moments. Amen.